happened in our lives. And we love you. We consider it a tremendous privilege to be able to leave the city, to be able here, Lord, to be uh, using this gorgeous facility and to seek your face and to learn more about what you want with our lives. We give you ourselves freshly, Lord. We ask you to touch us this evening. We ask you, Lord, to move in our heart. I pray, Lord, that this weekend would change our lives. That this would become the most significant two and a half days in our life. Do something special, Lord. Do something permanent. In Jesus' name, Amen. I really do believe personally that this, this is probably going to be for many of you a turning point in your life. Greg and I have spent much time, I know, I'm sure privately, praying that God would really use this time and that God would use it to speak to your life. Many of you here at The Rock, I'm getting to know in a personal way. And I know a little about your life and I know a little about where you've come from and where you are today. Some of you have just recently come to know Christ. Some of you know Christ for some time, but you've been kind of drifting. You've been kind of wandering, aimless, sort of uh, like an orphan out there, wondering, what does God want with my life? Some of you are just here for the summer. And you've got a school that you're going back to. And I want you to pray about this weekend. I'm going to try to lay out to you the scripture here this weekend of what God wants to do with your life. And I want you to pray that God would lead you and that you would be open to considering whatever it is you're done with school, number one, or number two, consider the possibility of transferring and joining what God is going to do with us together as young people to bring a spiritual revolution to the Twin Cities first and to other cities throughout the United States because your generation is a desperate generation. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you this again. Generation X is by far the most broken and the most hurting and the most disillusioned generation there has ever been in this country. Not because of anything you did, but because of what your parents, like me, have done. And it's left so much hurt, so much emptiness, so much frustration on the part of so many young people. And they are ripe for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of you know that because you personally come to know Christ as your Savior. God wants to do something incredible with our lives. It has always been God's intention to do something incredible. Do you know in the first century in the book of Acts, in approximately 10 to 15 years, there was 80,000 believers in Jerusalem. 80,000. And 80% of them were slaves. Why? Because they were so disillusioned and disenfranchised. And that's usually who always turns to the gospel. You don't have to be a slave owned by someone to be disenfranchised and disillusioned. You're a slave to the flesh. Maybe you're a slave to the world. You're a slave to materialism. You're a slave to false ideas. You're a slave to your fears. You're a slave to Satan. As Bob Dylan said, you have to serve somebody. And it may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you've got to serve somebody. And it's one or the other. And this is our time. This thing that God is doing, this thing we call the rock, it's God's thing. It's God's thing. And when I travel, when I go, you would not believe the excitement and the exuberance of people when I tell them about the rock. When I was discussing with high schools, I have a young man right now emailing me from Germany, Dortmund, Germany 
who, who's 17 years old, is in the studio, plays as well as Jimi Hendrix on the electric guitar, and desperately wants to do a rock in Germany. I have a man that called me the other day from Ball State University, and I talked with him at length on the phone, and he's right now this weekend praying with his other pastors whether or not to start the rock at Ball State. Now, they have something currently going, but when they heard about this at a conference I was at recently, he sent me a letter said, Mark, it says like everything I've wanted to do. This is our time. This is our time. You were born for something significant. And I mean born again. For something significant. You were born so that God could do something great and purposeful and eternal with your life. So do not sell yourself short. Don't give your... Well, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. We are right now. I have a few things I jotted down this afternoon. I want to read to you. We're living right now in a time of great spiritual crisis. All around us, there's raging a great war between good and evil, God and Satan, angels and demons, truth and lies, darkness and light. We were meant to be God's soldiers in this great war. God's truth bearers, God's light, fighting for the eternal souls of men and women. All over the world. But Christians in America are in open rebellion to God. They're living selfish, worldly, complacent, disobedient, materialistic, meaningless, wasted lives. They are deceived and giving their lives to the pursuits of all the things the devil uses to keep people from God. Pleasure, money, worldly desires, and meaningless pursuits. We, we must wake up and be different. We, the Bible says, it's time to wake up, sleeper. It's time because your redemption is closer than when you believe. It's time to let God really shine on you and work in your life. Realize this. I want to talk to you tonight about two things. Seize the day. Live and be great for God. And you notice on your little tag right here, it says that. Now, you don't have to always wear this tag. You can put it on your keychain if you don't like wearing it here. You can sew it into your clothing. But I want you to carry this tag, and I want you to think about this. This is our mantra. Seize the day, live for God. Seize the day, live for God. I want you to understand something, okay? First of all, I read that to you because I want you to understand a correct and proper worldview. There's a correct worldview, there's an incorrect view. And most Christians that you know are living with a deceived worldview. Did you know that the divorce rate among born-again evangelical Christians in America is approximately 4% higher than the non-Christians in America? That is pathetic. The average Christian as, is as immoral as the non-Christian. The average Christian considers sex outside of marriage as normal as the non-Christian. We have a pathetic and major problem. And it is time that God wants to raise up a brand new group of people who are young, who are passionate, 
who are holy and want to do something different with their lives because the older generation has dropped the ball and they are not going to pick the baton up. They are not going to pick it up. And I refuse to spend the rest of my life giving myself to people who want to play a game and are living in open rebellion to God. We can't do that anymore. The stakes are way too high. You have to understand something. When Christ died for you, He bought you. We sing these songs, you know, You're so good to me. You, Lord, you, uh, I thank you for the time you spent, you know, that, that new song they've been singing, and all that you did for me, the Lord bought you. You are bought and you are paid for. And the Bible says in Corinthians, Therefore, glorify God with your body. Did you know in Corinthians it says, the body was not created for sexual immorality, but for God. We live in a country that is determined to believe that the body was created for immorality. And most young people your age all across this country, that's what they're giving their body to. That's frankly, basically, what Woodstock was all about. I happened to be in a room in a, in, a, in a condominium in Myrtle Beach where I was speaking that had cable. I don't usually have it. And I watched the news reports every single day. It was pathetic. But the same thing happened at Edgefest. It's just that Woodstock was ten times as big. It's happening all over the country. All over the country. God wants to do something significant with your life. And let me tell you something. It's a lot more than being a botanist, a lot more than being a chemist, a lot more than being a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever else you have plans on being. Nothing wrong with a vocation, but always remember that's all it is. It's a vocation, isn't your life? God deserves your life. God deserves your life. And you know what, young person, listen to me. You don't have much time. You and I don't have much time. Do not squander your time. Do not waste your time. Don't misuse your time. Rather, seize the day and live for God. Be completely devoted to God. To Him and to His desire. To Him and to His desires. I'm going to go over some passages with you in the Scripture in just a moment. But the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, David says, Teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. The Bible says, and I'll just read these verses off to you and you can write them down. In Psalm 39, 4 and 5. Ecclesiastes 7, 2 through 5 says, It is better to be in the house of mourning than the house of laughter. For death is the end of every man, and the wise man takes it to heart. The wise person takes it to heart. We need to take it to heart. We need to take it to heart, young person, that we do not have much time at all to live our lives. I remember what it was like myself to be 18. I really do. I remember what it was like to be 19 when I committed my life to Christ. And from that day on, for the last 23 years, longer than many of you in the room have been alive, I have lived my life as though my life were very short, seizing the day, and living for God. And I don't regret one moment of it. But in about five days, I'll be 43. And that may seem old to you, but in just a snap of a finger and the blink of an eye, you are also going to be 43. And then you're going to be 50. And then you're going to be 60. And if you listen to me, and do what I'm telling you, you will be so glad when you hit those years and you look back and you're saying to a crowd of young people or to 10 or to your small group or to a whole group 
in another nation. I am so glad. I gave the last 23 years of my life to Christ. I've lived every day for Him. I've been after Him and after His business. Let me tell you something about God that you may or may not know. God has always used young people. He's all, this is why I give my life to young people. God has always used young people. David was approximately 17 when he killed Goliath. Mary, the mother of Jesus, many scholars believe, based on what they know of the time and the culture, was between 12 and 17 when she conceived Jesus. The disciples, the 12, were all in their early 20s. That means under 25. And most scholars believe John, the apostle, was approximately 18 years of age when at the Last Supper he laid his head on Jesus' chest. And Jesus died, rose from the dead, and left the most important mission in the world to a group of young men and their wives. And he expected them to do it. And tomorrow we'll find out what that is. But what I want you to understand right now, and what I want to answer you is this question. If I were not me, but instead standing here was Jesus, and you trust tonight the Holy Spirit, that's the only reason I come here, is I'm just a vessel. This isn't about what I have to say, it's about what God has to say to you through His Holy Spirit. So Jesus, in a sense, is figuratively speaking to your heart tonight. And do you know what He's asking again? He's asking, will you do my bidding? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hell, Lord, you know, that's not my calling. I want to be a chemist. Hell, Lord, that's not my calling. I mean, my gosh, I got plans. I mean, I love you, Lord, and I believe in reading my Bible and praying, but hey, don't expect me to change my agenda. I got my life all later. Well, so did the apostles. Their daddy passed on to them the fishing business. And Jesus asked them to leave it. Why? Why? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. And you have that life and millions, billions do not have it. You have what they need and the only way they're going to find it out is if we share it with them. And we're going to get into that this weekend and the plan and the strategy of the Scripture and how God wants to do that. So needless to say, I believe in young people and that's why I started The Rock. It's been on my heart for years. And I believe with the energy and the passion and the devotedness of youth. Listen, let's be frank. It's young people that are winning every athletic endeavor. It's young people that are winning the golf tournaments. What is Tiger Woods, 23 last time I heard? What are, the, what are the female tennis stars? Venus and Serena? How old are they? 17 years old? How old was Mike Tyson when he won the heavyweight championship? 21, if I'm not mistaken? It's always young people that are doing something meaningful and great when it comes to being fully devoted. It's the parents and old people that are just walking around, no meaning in their life, buying their houses, and got a little money. Big deal. Big deal. It's young people. It's young people that are doing something passionate with their lives. God wants to tap you. God wants to use you. 
I'll tell you what, you may not see it this way, but some of you sure better be glad that I devoted my life to, when, to the Lord when I was young. Or many of you wouldn't even be in this room tonight. And think about all the individuals that you are going to have an impact on. Five, you've got to learn to look down the road, see? You've got to learn to go, wow, if I devote my life to Christ now, it could mean literally so many people are going to come up and thank me because I gave my life to Christ and that's how they came to know Christ. Their marriage got saved. Their life got put together because you honored God. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I have many things to share with you this evening. I'm going to go as fast as I can. Obviously, we got a very late start tonight. So, uh, bear with me. I'll try to keep your attention. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. Stop. Stop. You just want to underline that word. If you have the new living, this is the new living. Stop loving this evil world. This is 1 John chapter 2 and verse uh, 15. And 1 John is almost near the end of the Bible, just before Revelation. Okay? Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. Circle that and write the United States. These are not from God. I didn't say that. The Bible said it. They are from this evil world. By the way, in case you were wondering, the world is evil. <laughs> the world is evil. Are the mountains evil? No. Is the bricks evil? No. People are evil. They're born evil. We're born with a propensity to sin and rebel. Like a dog barks, a fish swims, we sin. It's our nature. And it ruins lives. And the world, and this world, underline it, is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. Now, I want to make something very clear. Whether you do the will of God or not, if you have Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. You're going to heaven. Okay, you're going to heaven. What this is saying here, I'm going to show you another verse in Matthew in just a moment. It means that if you, if, you, if you do the will of God, your life, what you lived it for, will go on forever. Go to Matthew. I'll show you this in Matthew. Chapter 16. Okay, now Matthew is back just the first book of the New Testament. Alright? you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, it's kind of not quite in the middle of your Bible. Matthew chapter 16. In verse 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Now, I want you to understand, Jesus is not talking to the lost world. The lost world is any person who does not personally know Jesus Christ. Another way to say it, they've never been born again of the Spirit. Another way to say it is they're not saved. Another way to say it is they're not redeemed. Another way to say it is they have not yet believed in Jesus Christ with their heart. They've not yet put their trust and faith in Him that He alone can get them to heaven. He's the only one who can forgive all their sin and wants to. A disciple, Christian, is a person who's embraced that gospel. 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your ambition for self or your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. If you give up your life for me, you will find true, real, abundant life. And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, so you don't misunderstand this. Very, very important that you understand this. Once you've come to Christ, you never lose your soul. Another version puts it this way. What would a profit a man if he gains the whole world but lose the value of his life towards God? Here's the point. You remember when Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money? You will either love the one, despise the other, or love the one and hate the other? Money. Money represents all the things America's about. Going after things. Jesus told the rich young ruler that a man's life does not consist of his possessions. But in America, that is the religion. Why, of course, a person's life consists of their possessions. That's all America's about. Bye, 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 bye. Listen, I, I want to tell you a little secret. You may not know this, but there's one primary reason the, the economy right now is doing really well. Do you know why? Because Americans aren't saving their money, they're spending their money. And you know how they're spending their money? With credit cards. We're the greatest debtor nation in the world. In the world. In the history of the world. And the house of cards will eventually crumble. Don't you do it. Because it'll crumble around you. That's the generating engine of our economy. Spend, spend, spend. And everything in the world that you live around is meant to entice you to part with your hard-earned cash. And Jesus is giving us a whole new way to think about life. So what he's saying is, what would it profit you if you gain everything you really want in life, materially, sexually, relationally, Whatever it costs you, you pay whatever price. But it robs you of your time. And your time is your life. And before you know it, BAM! You're 65. And the best years of your life are gone. And you have nothing eternal to show for it. That's what he's saying. Do you understand that? Nod your head. Do you understand that? Do you get that? That's what he's saying. You will never find life as a Christian. Never, ever, ever. Unless you lose it now. Always remember this. If you don't live aggressively focused, you will die passively indifferent. Wasted away. Your life stolen from you. If you don't live aggressively focused for God, you will die passively indifferent, wasted away, your life stolen from you. I want to ask you a series of questions, and I, I want you to think about these logically, okay? Let's just be logical for a moment. If you had a thousand dollars cash right now, it was you know it's just extra money, thousand dollars, how many of you would give me ten bucks? You know me, you know, we got this friendship. You give me ten. If you had a thousand, you give me ten. How many of you had 10,000? I know that's a hard number to grasp. 
She had $10,000 right now. All of a sudden, just fell into your lap. How many of you give me $100? Say, Mark, I, I love you. I, I, your car broke down. Here's $100. Okay, now stay with me. How many of you had a million? Would give me $10,000. Let's save you taxes, by the way. Okay, raise your hand really high. If you had a million right now, you give me $10,000. All right. Now, the more you have, the less important giving a little seems, right? I mean, you know, everybody talks about how philanthropic Bill Gates is. He's worth, you know, $80 billion. Oh, I think he gave away $10 million last year. What a guy. Why would he do that? Well, one, because Bill Gates, I've read a couple of articles about him, he believes that his, his wealth, you know, he can't keep it all. He wants to use it for others. But my goodness, Bill, <laughs> 10 measly million? would be like you if you had 1000 given $10. Besides, he'd give it to the government anyway. He saves in tremendous tax burden. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you here believe you have Jesus Christ that you're going to live forever? How many believe that? Let me ask this another way. How many believe you have at least 100 billion forevers to live? And then you'll have 100 billion after that. Oh, and then when you get to that, you'll have another 100 billion. You really believe that? Raise your hand if you really believe that. If you really believe that, then will you give God the next 60 years of your life? Because what's 60 stinking years if you've got 200 trillion coming? And that's what God's asking. And that's what I'm asking. I'm asking for lifers. Okay? This is not a game to me. The rock's not entertainment to me. This is about giving your life for the mission of Jesus Christ with every ounce of blood, sweat, energy, and love, and passion, and commitment that you have. And if you say, if you say, and I want you to think about this all weekend because because I know I was logical, but I know I caught a lot of you really off guard. If you really believe, if you really believe that you have all the time in the world to live, and you know I've described heaven to you before, young person, but let me tell you something. Heaven's not about harps and sitting on a stinking cloud. Okay? I want to make that very, very clear. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that in the end, after Armageddon, after the great white throne judgment, when every person who does not know Christ will personally get a chance to tell God why I didn't embrace your gospel. And then the Bible says they'll be thrown in the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, 21, read it yourself. The Bible says then, he will destroy the heavens, all of them. How many galaxies are there? Anybody know? Anybody here studying astronomy? Anybody here into that kind of thing? Let me tell you something. They're endless. They can't even get to the end of them. They think they just found, and then there's more, more, more. God is going to destroy all of the heavens and the earth. Pluto, Saturn, Venus, all gone, and earth gone. And then, and then you'll finally find out for you evolutionists out there, in one split second of time, He will make a new heavens, heavens, and a new earth. And it will be your home forever. And the Bible says it's a place where righteousness is at home. There will be no sin, no flesh, no pain, no sorrow, 
just bliss, joy, happiness. Remember those, have you ever been in those moments with a brother and sister, or maybe it's one of the times you're at the rock or some other place, and you go, I just wish it could last forever. I just, these people are the neatest people in the world, and you are. You're among the neatest people in the world because you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. That's just, that's just infinitesimal compared to what heaven will feel like emotionally, and you'll have an infinite capacity to feel. It will all be good. And that's going to be yours. And we are going to sing maybe, I don't know, a hundred years. Take a break. Go see the new moons. We'll go to the mountain ranges that you never got to go here. They're dead and dying anyway. And they'll be yours. They'll be yours. Do you, do you understand? You're beginning to grasp what I'm getting at here? So brother and sister, let me tell you something. Six years is nothing. My wife and I, our lives, our marriage, our family, it's God's. It's always been God's. Always been God's. My marriage is God's. And I'm not married for me. I got married for God. I got married because I believed I could be more effective in the gospel for God. Married and single. So when it's the time, I did it. And then I believed that having children would be one way I could, number one, populate heaven. Number two, raise up my own little disciples for Jesus Christ who could make an impact on the world. They're God's. They're not mine. God gave them to me as a gift and I fully believe that He wants them back better than when He gave them to me. It's God's. Your life is God's. Your time is God's. Your eyes are God's. Your ears are God's. Your nose is God's. He gave them to you. And the greatest gift you give to God is give them back. See, you know, some of you may think, you know, is there anything God would want that He can't make? Yes, there is. Your heart fully devoted to Him. He's sovereignly taking His hands off your heart. That's your space. It's your will. It's your choice. And God's heart breaks. God's heart yearns. Jesus prayed, O oh, Father, keep them from the evil. And I pray they be one as we are one. God wants your heart. And that's the gift that you can give back to God. That's the only gift. And then you give Him your time. And you give Him your life. And let me tell you something. If you don't think I have had a happy life, I'd just be more than glad to sit with you in the cafeteria over there and there all the meals that we're going to have together. We can talk. And you can ask me any question. And by the way, you can ask me any question anytime you want any, about anything. Anytime. You want to email it to me or call me on the phone. Nothing's off limits. I'll answer any of your questions. But I can tell you right now, the last 20 years of my life, they've been awesome. Well, they've been full of trials, but that's helped get me to what I am today. Without the trials, I wouldn't be here speaking to you today. But it's been good, good, and you know what? It's only getting better. In fact, I just feel so re-energized at this point in my life. I have as much energy right now these days, the last five months, as I had when I was 25. You know what the Bible says in Psalms? He says, He crowns your years with good things, so your youth is renewed like the eagle. Must be something about eagles i got to figure out, but I don't focus on that part. I focus on the part that, wow, God gives me good things, and you know what it does? It makes me feel young again. And i got to tell you something, brothers and sisters, you make me feel young again. 